This episode of Assembly Required is brought to you by Audible.com. If you're listening to a podcast as long as this one, you are clearly a fan of long-form audio content. Well, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, podcasts, news, business, and self-development. Has Moon Knight sparked your interest in Egyptian mythology? You might want to check out Egyptian Mythology, a guide to the gods, goddesses, and traditions of ancient Egypt by Oxford University Egyptologist Geraldine Pinch. You'll also find plenty of suggestions of similar topics, or you can browse any of the other thousands of titles available on Audible. There's something for every interest. You can listen while you commute, while you work, or while you're doing things around the home helping you enrich your life with stories without losing time out of your day. And right now, if you visit audibletrial.com assemblyrequired, you can start a free 30-day trial of Audible and start listening today. Signing up helps support the show, and you can cancel at any time. Once again, that's audibletrial.com assemblyrequired. Thanks, enjoy the show. There was an idea. Romamu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony's stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo. The boys are back in town. We've got the sound lord himself, Chris. Hello. Chris, what's up, man? Hey, you know, just uh, hanging in there. And directly to his left, we've got the 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 the, the peachin. I just doxed you a little bit, but the peachers, pe- peach himself, peach. What's on up, man? Your left. <laughs> you gave away his location. You? I gave away specifically My where he was girl. in relation to Chris. Yes. <laughs> and when you're listening to this, listeners, just imagine me still on Chris's left. Are you allowed to say boys are back in town without paying uh, the record label? <laughs> Let me tell you, I think it's Let's because of the compression on this video. But please. I, I, um, I think it's the compression of the video because of the way it looks, I didn't see all of what was written on Chris's shirt, and I thought it only said, we are boys. <laughs> I was very confused. Yeah, there's, a, there's a little, little the right There's a there. little the there that I we saw later on, boys. but at first, at first I thought it was literally just University of Florida, Florida. we are boys. <laughs> Truth. Facts. And as a special treat from the Films from the Phantom Zone podcast, we've got Arnaldo back. Arnaldo, welcome back, man. Hey. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's yeah, good to thanks be back. for being on again. I'm back, baby. Uh, to talk all about uh, Moon Knight, we're talking Moon Knight episode four today. Uh, the Tomb, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, and it's written by Alex Meehan, Peter Cameron, and Sabir Perzada. Um, now, before we get into the full synopsis of the episode and kind of uh, our talking points for this, Arnaldo, what what has been your thoughts about the the show so far? The first three episodes that we've gotten. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> distracted by uh, you guys muting your microphones and then <laughs> talking <laughs> shit. Anyway, <laughs> um, I love this I show. One, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I love this show so far. It's been it's been a wild ride. Um, and I think 
I don't really know what my expectations were, but I was really excited. I had sort of started reading some um, some Moon Knight uh, in preparation, and it's kind of the characters really um, grown on me since we since like starting to to read a little bit, and then in the show. Uh, and I think this show has so far been excellent. Uh, it's it's something that's really come through a lot, and I want to talk about it a little bit later. Is the care that they've put into this you can really tell that the creators the actors everyone involved is really just giving them like a hundred percent all the time and and it really feels like this this show is a product of just great creativity and just like letting the creatives be creative it's something i we talk a lot about on our show because on on our show we talk about a lot of movies that have most of them had studio interference. And so it's really nice to see something where like, and you know, you read that the actors have been able to like rewrite things on the spot in rehearsals and, and just, you know, the, this, the directors are, are, are just doing whatever they want. They're going ham and, and it really shows and the, the product has been really good. So I'm loving it. But up, 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 up. Arnaldo, what runs have you read? I have read two thousand the two thousand six run. Um, I think that's that the goes, one that I'm in the middle of. Yeah. Yes, you you have read uh, that one because I, I I've been listening to your to other episodes. You've been reading that one as well as some other ones, I believe. Um, I've been meaning to ask you. Actually, we'll get to it later. If you've been if you picked up a uh, uh, one that is mentioned in this episode, I sure did. Oh, it's so. Good. I hear that's. I hear that one's really good. Now I want to do that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on about that for a while later. Uh, there I might bet. be spoilers, but I'll let you guys decide what you want to hear. Yeah, the so the the 2006 run is just so gritty and kind of gross, and like it, you, you like I like that kind of thing. You know, I'm an adult, but like at the same time, like I find myself like kind of wanting to take breaks. I'm like, you know what? Let me give it a week before I do the next issue because mm-hmm. it's. It's a lot. You know? It's like talk, constantly talking to Conchu personified as Raul Bushman, who has no yeah. face because his face has been ripped off. So you're just he's talking oh, to this yeah. imaginary zombie moon god. It's it's so yeah, it's very graphic. It almost felt like media was trending in that direction back in that those early 2000 times you know you talk 300 and all these movies that were mm. significantly more gory saw is another another one that kind of comes to mind of these movies that were almost intentionally gory because they were sort of their intention was to push the envelope <laughs> no but i meant like intentionally excessively gory oh yeah yeah um and so cuz they were trying to sort of push the envelope of what you know, a movie could be, I think there was a lot of sort of that experimentation. And I think in recent times we've decided, you know what, maybe we don't necessarily, maybe less is more in uh, some of these regards. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about that issue or that kind of run has been um, one that Konshu is an absolute dick because he can take any form he wants and he chooses to antagonize Mark by embodying like the corpse of the man he just killed <laughs> when he usually doesn't like kill. Like he sometimes kills, but he sometimes doesn't. And he mostly regrets it. So I think that was really funny. Um, I had one more thing about that issue. Oh, oh, and just like how Mark in that in, in Moon Knight, Mark has been like ripped of Moon Knight for a while. He, he lost the powers and he's like in a real dark place. And he finally realizes how much he wants to be Moon Knight, despite like not wanting it before. Uh, and there's that bit in this show where he uh, 
he's you know he's talking to Concho. I think it's like in episode two, and he's just kind of like so miserable, and he just wants nothing more than to rid himself of Concho. And I think if they were to do a second season of this, they should do that, where Concho like is like, all right, screw you, I'm I'm leaving you, I'm picking someone else, and then just like Marco's rock bottom and realizes that he wants Concho back. I agree, and if oh, how do I say this without revealing without burying the lead for me later? Um, <laughs> if they're switching more to uh, a parallel of the comic that this episode was based on, it's going to be way different. Uh, that's I'll cut myself off. It's oh, it's so interesting. <laughs> it's so good. I I read it all in one sitting. Oh wow! Like they've divided that run. I think that run lasted like three years, and they divided it into mini sections. Okay, and so there's five issues of the situation that happens at the end of this episode. Okay. And I read them all like back to back to back. I would like, I could not stop. Also, it's really pretty. Okay. I'm going to actually cut myself off. Well, the episode begins with a Moon Knight classic upside down shot as Salim, avatar of Osiris, delivers the stone statue of Kanchu to a chamber decorated with the statues of at least nine other stone gods. Title card, and back into the desert, Layla fails to wake Steven, who appears to be unconscious after last week's trippy sky magic display. The two are approached by assailants in a truck outfitted with a large gun and boxes of ammunition, who channel their best stormtrooper impressions and start firing everywhere except where the heroes are. It really was incredible how much firepower they had and how they hit absolutely nothing. I also like them definitely not looking in the truck. They're like, check by the truck, but not in the truck. (laughs) Check (laughs) the vicinity of the truck. Someone's real phoning it in like, all right, yeah, there's nobody here. Let's keep going. Well, it's like, have you ever seen that clip of, uh, it was either Batman the Animated Series or Justice League. It was one of those with that Batman where a guy, like the goon opens the door, sees Batman in there. Batman (laughs) stares at him. The guy closes the door. He walks out. The other the other goon comes by and goes, anything wrong? And the guy says, nope. And they walk away. <laughs> I don't get I don't get sick leave. I don't get benefits. I'm not doing this. <laughs> the guy in Iron Man thing. These guys are all weird. I, I don't I hate them. <laughs> Rolling down a dune to hide in her truck, Layla finds a bag of flares, eventually using one to distract the gunman. She eats a second flare onto the baddie's box of ammo, causing a plethora of explosions. Steven, now awake, gives Layla a flabbergasted stare and thus begins Moon Knight Episode 4, Theme 1, The Romance Story. Uh, apparently, the writer of this uh, episode has uh, split the episode into themed sections. So You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. Uh, the two drive toward Amit's tomb, and Layla suggests bringing Mark for the mission in place of Steven. He objects, stating that he and Mark made a deal to give Stephen control of the body after Conchu was gone. Layla retaliates, saying that a decision to remove Mark from her life should have involved her. The two agree that Mark had already abandoned Layla, and she proceeds to shit-talk about his lone wolf nature and recent loss of his Conchu armor. Yikes, he's right there, Layla. The two park and proceed on foot to a site near the tomb entrance. Along the way, the world's most malicious-looking goat, is he Mephisto, yes, and an abandoned campsite. As Stephen pilfers supplies from a tent, he spots Mark in the reflection of a shiny table. Mark tries to coach Stephen on mission strategy and reminds Stephen that he's not alone should he need backup. Stephen snaps back, I know I'm not bloody alone, I've got Layla. 
Mark acts, uh, excuse me, Mark accuses Stephen of being in love with his wife and threatens to throw himself off a cliff if Stephen makes a move. Layla and Stephen gear up to descend into the tomb and oh boy, sexual tension. Uh, interesting, a lot of interesting stuff here. Um, mostly because everything happening um, with Stephen and Layla is kind of wild. Um, but also... A lot of this scene is is shot in a way whether you believe uh, a cinematography is is exclusively through a camera or with uh, with with video added uh, is shot pretty well. Uh, Arnaldo, you wanted you had a you had a few takes on how this scene in particular with Layla and Steven um, together was shot. Going back to what I was saying before, it's very evident how much care. Uh, they're putting into the show in like all facets. Uh, and and one that has really stood out to me so far is, I guess, a shot composition, whether or not you call that cinematography or not. But there's um there's a great scene here with Layla and uh, Steven when she's helping him with his uh, harness because they're about to like spelunker whatever down to the cave. And um. You know, she it's a very it's a very intimate moment because these two characters are sort of just now getting to know each other. And Layla's kind of like becoming attracted to him, I think. Right. (laughs) Um, And there's this great part where she's uh, she smells him. He's like, oh, you smell like him before she's kind of in her head. Like, yeah, no shit. Like that's you are still Mark. You're obviously the same body. Um, And and if I could just like take a pause from my point to go back to. Uh, a couple episodes ago, something I really love in Oscar Isaac's um, acting is how he looks different just because he's really selling the part so well, you know, when he's playing Mark or he's playing Steven uh, that you honestly believe that they're two different people that just like look very, very, very similar, you know, and how for some reason Mark is more attractive. Um, And I love that, you know, in episode, I think it was like two, they, they uh, they mentioned that because Stephen is looking at his he's yelling at Mark. And he's like, I don't care how handsome you are. He's like, that's you. You're looking at your reflection, you know, and he's like, just because Stephen is the Clark Kent, like he's kind of hunched over and he's not very confident and he's kind of pathetic. And Mark is very confident and he's very speaks up and he's just you know, he knows what to do. And he's that comes across as like being very handsome or whatever. But Layla is now kind of seeing that Steven is more of the maybe this compartmentalized version of Mark that is much more sensitive uh, and and is more in tune with her, um, I guess, like likes and interests because he can do the poetry and the French and the Egyptology and all this stuff. Anyway, I digress. Um, That whole interaction was shot in like a long shot. Uh, with both actors on screen at the same time. Um, And it's very intimate because not only are they having an intimate moment, but we are engrossed in their performances completely because instead of having like a a shot counter shot, uh, which is very typical when two characters are talking to each other, when a character, when a camera is going to start left and then, you know, pan right. And they're like cut right then cut left and cut right. And that's usually filmed one at a time and then like put together in the edit, you know, 
Um, and so it's never one coherent performance. You're getting bits and pieces of different performances that the editor has chosen to put together. And hopefully it comes across as coherent, right? Like you see both actors, you know, doing their bit, acting their hearts out. Uh, and, and the camera is just kind of locked on them mostly the entire time. And that really pairs with what's happening on screen very, very well. And I have another example of that later on in the show when you're you're looking at, um, I think, Harrow and Layla and, and they're having a conversation, uh, you know, across that big chasm. Uh, and I read that they filmed that using two cameras on two cranes. So they were able to film them both at the same time. And so you even there, like, you, I mean, there might be some editing involved uh, and they probably did multiple takes. But at the same time, like they were able to have a coherent performance and you're able to watch that entire thing play out. Probably, you know, it shows how much confidence they have in everybody on the set. Right. They, yeah. you know, you you almost start to see the cracks if you pay attention enough in some of the other Marvel properties with what you're describing, how the camera sort of pans to one person's face and pans to another. And you can almost see where these shots were edited, where they didn't happen sequentially, or they didn't happen at the same time. They were shots or that were- Or were they even in the same room? Right, were they even in the same room? You, you, you don't know. But this shows a lot of confidence in these actors that they're able to put on a complete scene from start to finish, and they're not going to want to- re-edit the context later on they go no this is we're doing it this way like you said i think it it shows a lot of once again confidence and i think it shows that they really care about this project the 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 actors they they know that the actors are going to put in all of their effort i think um ethan hawk i don't know if we talked about this on the show but the the whole reason he's even on the show because i think he publicly stated that he never wanted to do a marvel or superhero project um, yeah, he uh, Oscar Isaac saw him at like a coffee shop or something. And he's like, hey, do you want to do Moon Knight with me? And he was like, for you, I would do it because, you know, oh kind of explained the project to him. It was like, you know, uh, it's really interesting. We're going to be doing something very different. And he's like, you know what? If you're going to be in it, I'm going to do it. And that's how he even got involved in the project to begin with. And Oscar Isaac is a producer of this as well. So he's been very involved really throughout the creative conception of this as a series, like developing it. So. Uh, that's something we're seeing a lot more of, I think, as the MCU has grown and grown in names. I mean, how Scarlett Johansson was a producer on Black Widow. It's cool seeing that these actors kind of get some ownership of their characters throughout the creative process as well. I don't think Oscar is going to be burned again after being in so many projects that he didn't enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he'll I don't think we'll see Apocalypse anytime soon. <laughs> No, <laughs> um, I mean, he's in Egypt. I don't know. <laughs> um, Back to what you were saying too about the the. I hadn't thought about this, but just to kind of like jump on the bandwagon here, you can see because of the way that that scene is shot, the like little mannerisms when people flirt that you would just wouldn't see when they do the you know cutting back and forth thing, like yeah. when they're talking to each other. Uh, and afterwards they're kind of like looking away from each other and kind of smiling and like giggling a little, like those type of small things that you might show when you cut back and forth, but watching both of them do it at the same time kind of has a more, like a more in-depth effect to it, right? You walk away from that scene going, I believe that they were actually flirting. Like there's chemistry there. And the kiss, 
How awkward was the kiss? Oh, oh yeah. so awkward that I wrote a joke in the script about it. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> I right. meant to ask who wrote this one to thank Sorry. for the uh, sassiness. <laughs> yeah. If it's sassy, <laughs> it's mine. It's all peach. Yeah. It's almost like the actors here are maybe just better actors than we normally get in the MCU. Not as a whole. Whoa, whoa. But whoa. <laughs> they, they are maybe of a different caliber than say uh, a falcon and the winter soldier you know the the level of acting the level of emotion that we are getting is maybe of a different uh, a different level i would also argue once you look at this there is not a person on this planet that can tell me that tony stark and pepper Potts have chemistry uh i uh, refuse to accept like you look at these two and you go oh no. wow these have chem- these people have chemistry you look at these people oh he was mean to her once i guess that's chemistry yeah i don't Hey, listen, I don't you, see it. You join dating apps in 2022 and tell me that being mean to someone doesn't produce chemistry. <laughs> well, I'm the one that's married, though, so I succeeded. So I know is it did. is it my opinion of chemistry? Probably more correct. Uh, no, because you had to do all the flirting back in like 2015. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> the stone ages of 2015. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back before uh, civil- civilization was formed. You did it in person. Yeah, I, I went up to my wife and I said, and I threw a rock at her. And that's how yeah. that's how the love story began. <laughs> yeah, Taylor Swift sang about it. Uh, bring it back to the cinematography a little bit. There is a... <laughs> We're just going to... Zip on past that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, there was one thing in the cinematography that was also in a conversation between uh, those two actors that I really noticed, and it's towards the end of the episode, and it is when she's demanding to talk to Mark. He blacks out for a second and becomes Mark, and in that point, the camera switches sides, so it crosses the 180-degree line. I don't know if you've ever... Oh yeah! Ever, like taking like a like a film analysis class or anything, or if you do any research on cinematography, there's what's something that's called the 180 degree rule, and it's basically if you're shooting a scene with two people, imagine so like if I'm facing Peaches right here, there's a line between us, and the camera can be anywhere on this side of the line, but if it crosses and starts shooting us from the other side of the line, audiences can often find that jarring. It's like, hang on, you've switched sides. And it doesn't feel right. Uh, and it's bad for continuity. And it, yeah. there's something about it that psychologically doesn't feel right. Well, that camera completely crosses that 180 degree line. Steven's gone. Mark is here now. And I thought that was really just an interesting way to do that. Because, I mean, that's a rule. But, you know, in any creative endeavor, if you know how the rules work, then you know how you can break them effectively. Yeah. And I thought that was a great breaking of that so-called rule in that in that moment. Well, and I forgot to mention also in previous episodes, uh, I've, I've got a lot to unload because I wasn't invited in previous episodes. But anytime the camera is shooting through a reflection, then that character thinks that they're speaking to a different persona. So you've got like Layla talking to Steven on the moped and she is talking and it's filmed through the mirror because she doesn't know who Steven is. She thinks it's Mark. Uh, later in that episode, the the storage clerk is talking to Stephen, but he's like, oh, no, I know who you are. And that he thinks he's talking to Mark. And that is also shot through a reflection. So the shot composition is telling you this person is speaking to the reflection, not the person that you, you is really there. This show's good. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. Thank you. <laughs> 
Layla tries to move in for a kiss, but Stephen interrupts, revealing to her that Mark has been pushing Layla away in order to protect her from becoming Conchu's next avatar. Layla objects, saying she needs honesty instead of protection. Stephen uses this objection as a cue to go in for the kiss himself, showing off the moves he probably learned from watching TLC's Virgin Diaries. I told myself I wasn't even going to read that during the show, but <laughs> I ended up reading it anyway because I'm like Ron Burgundy. Uh, before whatever belaying is into the tomb, Mark makes Stephen punch himself in the face. Got him. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about the the, the weird love triangle going on here uh, in a little bit more in depth. And I don't know how in depth we want to get, but besides just saying it's super weird. Yeah, I just wanted Let's to pose the question deep. to you. What is the weirder Marvel love story? Is it Loki falling in love with an alternate timeline version of himself uh, who is a woman? Or is it a love triangle that involves three people, two of whom share one body? What's weirder? I don't think either of them are weird. <laughs> I think the Loki you one don't is weird. Think? <laughs> I think the Loki one is very weird. I think this no, one because... is less weird. I think this is the less weird one. Loki's is weirder. I'm still on team. Sylvie is not actually a... I have not changed my opinion since Loki that she's not actually oh. a variant. I know. I yeah, know. it's it's really tough to figure out if she is or not, even though they've called her a variant over and over and over again and have called her Loki. And I know. we've gone over this every, you know, 16 I times, forgot what a can of worms there's... I was opening by bringing up hey, Sylvie. I there... didn't say I was going to get there was into a... detail. There was a flashback, <laughs> and you see her uh, in, oh, crap, what's Asgard. Home... Asgard, thank you. Yes. But I guess she could not be. She Loki. could just be some random so Asgardian royalty child. You never know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It could. Oh, I'll wow. say him as a chance. Asgard. That's going to be a great just... payoff in 10 years. I know. <laughs> when I'm right, I will say I told you so. My to God. <laughs> she flies I in on I think, the Stark. Listeners. I think the Loki one is much stranger because it is him in love with himself. However, he does. He is acutely aware that he is so self-involved that he fell in love with himself right this feels like and i don't know how much we want to talk about did uh i i don't i don't know that much about it but i also don't think you need to know a lot about it because this is a work of fiction and it's not really did it's just kind of like what's the most interesting thing to put on the screen that being said it like this is a man who's like I said earlier, he's compartmentalized a lot of his different kind of personality traits into three that we know of completely separate camps um, that make up the whole of the original Mark Spector. And so Stephen seems to be so much more sensitive and smart. <laughs> um, but even Stephen says at this point, he's like, if you can do it, I can do it. It's in there, right? It's muscle memory. Like I can access all these skills if I tried hard enough. They're the same person. So like, who is Layla really falling for? If not just a different kind of like the best things about, you know, the person you like, I guess. Yeah, I guess the, the physical attraction would presumably still be there since it's the same right. body. And now, oh, wait, now we share all these common interests that we never did before. And you're speaking French and you know things about Egypt. Mark punching yeah. himself, though, is I think that's what you're originally getting at, right? Because it's like they both have an awareness that they share the same body. So is it weird for them to be interested in the same person? I mean, that one is of weird. which is married. I mean, they're legally they're married to each other. Stephen and Layla and Mark and Layla. Yeah. So is it that? I mean, I guess it's just in their own specific head, does it feel weird? But 
they should know. They should also be aware that we share the body, you know? Mm -hmm. But if, if you go through all the trouble to like create, I mean, whether he did this consciously or self-consciously, subconsciously, if you go through all the trouble of like creating a different personality and and that person is basically their own consciousness, then yeah, you could be jealous of them getting your girl because it's like you're living in this personality and maybe your wife doesn't like you anymore. He likes this other version of you that you can't readily access. I totally get mm. the jealousy. Yeah, that makes sense. But I would also argue, and maybe we'll move back to something I said a couple of weeks ago about the run that I was reading where when it, they talked about Jake, about how Jake was the manifestation of everything bad about Mark Spector. It was all his hate, all of his oh. violence wrapped up into one person. You know, I think in this iteration, Mark feels like he doesn't deserve Layla. He feels like he he's not good enough for her. For, so what if he took all the best parts of himself and, and sort of yeah. made a version that deserves Layla, that he thinks would actually... like? In my, I feel like it's almost like Mark did it on purpose. Like Mark yeah. almost created this version as a person who would be worthy of Layla's love because it's clear he doesn't think that he is. Yeah. And... I mean, if these personality traits that, that Steven has, they are almost engineered to appeal to her. We have the same right, favorite yeah. poet. We, we have the same academic interests. Yeah. I'm not and, getting and you killed might... by a moon god. <laughs> we might be jumping ahead, but like, what do you think about how Mark maybe creates Steven because he is trying to push her away and be... A, like a douchebag on purpose to her. I've and had that this theory. Yeah. And it, this is my stork. This is my stork for the whole series. <laughs> so we'll see if you guys agree. My stork is that neither Mark Spector nor Stephen Grant are the true person. And that uh, Jake Lockley is actually the person and has been, has forked off into these two. And similar to Mark, he sort of locked himself away because of all of the things he's done in the past. That's interesting. interesting. I might, I might agree. That's historic, just because I think that's a wild. That's a no. I think it's absolutely wild. <laughs> and if they did that, I'd go nuts. But the, uh, I, I could see that, especially because Mark, neither Mark nor Stephen, seem to realize that that there is a third person there. And I think we can almost guarantee that we will see Jake at this point. I think they have alluded to him right. yeah, multiple times. We definitely we, set the table for him. right, and so. I think there's some 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 funky stuff going on there. Uh, whether my stork is true or not, I agree. It is a stork. It is absolutely uh, outlandish and shouldn't be taken uh, seriously by anyone. Um, but if you are going to take it seriously, good for you. In the tomb, Layla and Stephen bond further as they nerd out over the ancient architecture. They briefly speak about Layla's archaeologist father who died during some mysterious mission which children should never be a part of. You know, we all know that children should not be a part of archaeology missions. They're just too dangerous. Except this time it was kind of right because he did die during an archaeology, like dig type thing. Yeah, and if they're doing archaeology right now, some pretty dangerous stuff's about to go down. <laughs> so maybe that lady had a point. Q Moon Knight Episode 4, Theme 2, The Horror Story. And I would argue the rest of the episode is a horror story but it's just a different kind of horror story this is like a monster horror whereas the end is like psychological horror as the pair explore further while enjoying the lovely background music of chittering clicking noises they discover that the tomb is both littered with bullets and structured like a maze shaped like the eye of horus 
After easily deducing which path they should take, Stephen and Layla find themselves in a dark chamber. and the center of the chamber is a coffin, decorated with fresh blood and plenty of meaty bits. Yum. Discouraged by a trail of blood on the ground leading toward the exit, Stephen opts to climb the nearby rafters to search for a different way out. The search is interrupted by the sound of gunfire, more clicking noises, and a ghoulish figure entering the room. The monster drags one of Arthur's henchmen into the room, drops him on the coffin, and begins to disembowel him, placing the henchman's organs into jars. I think this is maybe the one part I didn't like about this episode. Not because it is graphic, but because I think it misunderstands what the significance of putting somebody's organs in a jar was to ancient Egyptians, right? You, 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 you put their organs into jars because it makes it easier for them to travel, you know, into the afterlife and they can like bring that stuff with them. Uh, and so I don't think that the intention of this monster is to honor this guy that he's just murdered or maybe the idea is that is somebody who has done lots of mummifications over their life and so they are just a brainless monster that continues to do mummifications i think it was listed in the credits as a priest okay so i well, think you might be right about that second thing because it if, was one if, of the hecka priests yeah if those were yeah. Amit's followers Maybe that's exactly what that priest was doing. Like, it looked scary and violent because it was, uh, and because it was basically a mummy zombie priest. But, I mean, maybe that is what, it, maybe it was an honorable thing. Here's some air quotes. A classic horror mo- horror trope of cat and mouse begins as the pair tries to avoid the monster. I would have loved if they played, I, don't, I never remember the name of the song. But you guys know the song that I'm talking about, where it's people that are like going through doors, and then they the Benny come... Hill theme. The Benny Hill theme. If... <laughs> I think that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah that was should, good. Should they have done the full Scooby Doo with the doors yes, and the mummies going exactly. and looking? <laughs> and every once in a while, you get a shot of like them in front of a psychedelic background, just dancing. <laughs> <laughs> then the mummy's running away from Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Steven and Layla take turns distracting the baddie by making noises back and forth and ultimately run out of uh, run out via different exits. The monster pursues Layla. Layla finds herself in the organ room from the Goonies, minus the organ, and must hang uh, must hug a cliff wall to reach the exit and avoid falling to her death. As she reaches the other side, the MCU gives us the scariest scene they've ever filmed. From the darkness, a monster jumps at Layla and attempts to drag her away. Did you guys not get legends of the hidden temple vibes from this of the the temple guards coming and grabbing she needed one of the tokens the medallions yeah she had one she got out oh yeah i guess she must have had him yeah the medallion was ripping his arm she answered the questions right (laughs) (laughs) she answered hold on hold on knowledge the earlier walking in steven was like if one of these guys comes to life and asks me all these questions i'll be so happy hey there we go Oh, That's called foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's rock. This cave has a whole lot of nope for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, every step they take, I'm like, nope. I mm-mm. when there's an endless chasm, I'm like, I'll just I'll just jump. Why? Why prolong the inevitable? And whenever there's an endless chasm in one of these temples, someone always runs into that room and almost <laughs> falls in. They can never just open the door like, yeah. oh, hey, a big hole. They have to run in and stop themselves from falling. Yeah. I forgot Unless how. She had that flare from when she was playing like Jurassic Park when she had the flare earlier. I was about to say that. I'm I was sorry. about, I was like, 
about uh, to talk about how at the beginning I forgot to say that she was channeling her inner Jurassic Park when yeah. she took out the flare. And to be honest, when she took out the flare, my immediate thought, and I said these words out loud, was, so what's her plan now? And then two seconds later, she throws the flare into the pile of bullets, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's her plan. But that at first, was I, was, a pretty good plan. I was not following the, the plan there. <laughs> Did you guys notice there's a, a similarity between the action here and the action in the beginning with the Jeep where it's Layla hiding in or around this object as like people or, or as like the enemy is following, looking around from around. And I thought, is this intentional or did they just choreograph both things exactly the same? Well, I think they are trying to show us, and I think they've done this multiple times, how capable Layla is on her own. You know, there's a reason why Conchu yeah. wants her as the next avatar, and it's because in a lot of ways she doesn't need an avatar because she's so capable on her own. She seems to be much better at fighting than Mark is, at least. I mean, definitely Steven, but I don't know. I'm more impressed with her fighting almost every in every episode than I have been with Mark's. But Mark Spector's, like I said last episode, Mark Spector's fighting style is, I'll just get hit, whatever, you know? So... Mm. I don't think that's her fighting style. He does seem to get shot an awful lot. Oh, yeah. And hit and stabbed and <laughs> mm-hmm. slashed. And he just says, whatever, I'll fight you through it. They fight on the ground until Layla lights a flare and uses it to impale the monster through the eye, then tossing the bright-eyed baddie into the depths and emerging victorious. Arthur appears in a doorway post-fight, but we cut to Steven. And so, Chris, here you wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the horror tropes that have been leaned into. And we we have heard... And I think they reports said they were doing this and then they've since moved back, but about Multiverse of Madness and how that was originally intended to be more of a horror Marvel movie. And they have since sort of walked that back a little bit and made it a little less horror than they had originally intended. But this seems, this episode in particular was pretty, it had a lot of those, uh, a lot of that DNA. This is, yeah, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen in a Marvel product, I think. Where I was actually sitting there frightened because there was this scary mummy monster zombie thing chasing after, you know, this person that we spent a few episodes getting to know and liking and all of that. And it was just shot really well. And the tension was really, really strong. And I don't know, it just really felt like an old fashioned horror movie. Egypt is always, you know, I guess ever since the mummy, the original mummy movie came out in the thirties, you know, back when Universal was doing all their classic monster movies, that's, it's always been kind of a, a horror setting. So it makes sense that if you're doing a show like this, where the story involves the Egyptian gods and tombs and mummies and all of that, that you should lean into that tradition in, in the story you're telling. So it was a real fun kind of switch to do that kind of horror scene in the middle of the show and you know you brought up dr strange that you know that was scott derrickson directed the first one and was originally on board to direct multiverse of madness and his background is horror but they left over creative differences and it sure seems like those creative differences are probably he wanted to do more horror than maybe marvel was looking for uh but it's nice that we did get a little bit of just you know, at least one sequence of pure horror in the show. And then, as you said earlier, that final sequence is a completely different kind of horror, a psychological horror. And that's not me saying that Multiverse Madness isn't going to have some horror influence. I mean, they replaced 
Scott Derrickson with Sam Raimi, who has done his I was own, about to say that his own horror stuff. So I, I, I still anticipate there being, you know, some of that influence in this movie uh, coming and Bruce up. Campbell. And yeah, I expect there to be some horror inflows, and I expect Bruce Campbell. Those are my two expectations for for this movie. But this is a scary episode. First, it was just a scary, suspenseful sequence with a monster, and then a completely different kind of scary of just disorienting what is real. And I really enjoyed them going in that direction in this episode. And it's like, we're going to look back as this, this was the horror episode of Moon Knight. And I think that's really cool. I'm really excited that we have mummies in the MCU now. <laughs> and that like pretty soon we're going to have zombie or not zombies. We're going to have a werewolves too. Like. Yeah, we're going to have a werewolf. Um, we have a vampire because we've at least heard Blade. Morbius. Every day we stray <laughs> closer and closer toward that Dracula panel. Yes. Every day we're closer and closer to it. I feel like it could happen. Have we talked about how the writers wanted to find a way to reference all the Moon Knight memes in the show and they could not find a good spot for it? <laughs> they wanted to do like the random bullshit go. And I love random bullshit go so much. <laughs> I have to look that up. I'm Where's my that. money? <laughs> Where's my money, you fucking nerd? Or... Wait, Dracula is the best insult. It's just the best insult. Have you guys thought about? I was going to say this later, but I can talk about it now. Have you guys thought about how weird it is that mummies are included in that like pantheon of different uh, monsters? You've got Dracula, vampire. You've got Frankenstein's monster, and then you've got mummies who are like, uh, like a sacred ritual by an ancient civilization that we were like, okay, but what if we turn them into monsters instead? Those could be. Scary. Yeah. I think that's just a, a zombie that special that specked into faith. Like they put a bunch of extra points into faith and they're a zombie. I, I had this debate with somebody <laughs> and it was like, we need to make a Venn diagram of like mummies, zombies, werewolves and vampires because there's significant crossover in a lot of them. Like, they're all undead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mummies and zombies. Mummies are basically zombies, except like they're not contagious, but werewolves and Draculas or vampires are contagious. We can call them Draculas. So, I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know, they're they're you know they have contagion by bite, right? Like all of them. So it's like there's just <laughs> yeah. If a body yeah, no, bites it, you, then you just you know get infected like an you've actual been infection. Bit. <laughs> you know, uh, probably from ancient bacteria. But if a zombie <laughs> bites you, you're going to become a zombie. If a vampire bites you. In most stories, you're going to become a vampire. What if a mummy right. bites you and you become a pharaoh? Oh, man. Is that how they pass on the mantle of leadership? Yeah. Like a, <laughs> a sacred ceremony where your predecessor bites you? <laughs> oh, God. Speaking of mummy bites, uh, when Stephen was elbow deep in Alexander the Great's skull, uh, I definitely thought that Alexander the Great was going <laughs> to close his jaws. There was no reason for that, but I was expecting it. <laughs> Well, you were already in the horror movie mindset. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You don't put your limbs in dark places. No. That's rule number one. <laughs> Never, ever. <laughs> Unless you're playing Legend of the Hidden Temple and you have to reach into the tree. To there it is. There's another the one. The but, but don't be surprised when that tree reaches back. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen's path leads him to a highly decorated chamber with a sarcophagus in the center. He assumes based on the decor that it must have been created for a pharaoh. What does golden surveillance stork mean? 
It means on his way. <laughs> this is just something that Chris and I watched this together and he saw it and pointed it out. And then I went like, <gasps> because on his way up to the sarcophagus, there is a golden statue of a bird and it's probably an Ibis, but it, in the moment he was like surveillance stork. And we were like, ah, cause there were two on either end. Like they were standing watch. Like they were actually the surveillance around this guy's tomb. I'm just saying the the terminology is just getting better as we go on. We're getting closer and closer. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, if we get surveillance stork and calling Dracula a big nerd, I then this is going to be the greatest series of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen recognizes that the carvings etched into the sarcophagus are Macedonian, not Egyptian, leading him to believe that he's found the long lost tomb of Alexander the Great. Briefly jumping back and forth between characters, in the much scarier chamber, Arthur keeps Layla's attention by calling her My Little Scarab, a nickname from her father. Creepy. Arthur tells Layla that her father would be proud of her accomplishments before changing the topic of conversation to Mark's inner agony. Cut back to Stephen, who opens the sarcophagus, revealing the mummified corpse of Mr. the Great, but not revealing the Ushabti, Amit's stone statue they're looking for. Realizing that Alexander was the voice of Amit, Stephen removes the bandages from the mummy's face and begins hand spelunking into the corpse's body. Gross. I <laughs> never want to hear the phrase hand spelunking ever oh, again in my entire life. I didn't life. think I'd ever have another opportunity to write hand spelunking, so I just took it, you know? <laughs> uh, it's going to be one of those phrases that's just going to live in my brain and surface up every once in a while. You said elbow deep down Alexander's throat earlier. That's the same thing. <laughs> Fair. Is that from Hamilton? Uh, Arthur reveals that Layla's <laughs> father was murdered by mercenaries, uh, inferring that Mark was a member of the responsible party. As Layla walks away from the, cha- uh, the conversation to find Stephen, Arthur screams, wake up, into the chamber. Layla finds Stephen in the fair room just as he pulls the statue of Amit out of Alexander's throat. As Stephen attempts to celebrate victory with her, Layla specifically confronts Mark about her conversation with Arthur, causing Mark to quickly take control of his body. Mark confesses that while he didn't kill Layla's father, he was present during the mission, revealing that his unnamed mercenary partner got greedy and murdered everyone on the dig site. So we have confirmation that what happened in that specific run of Moon Knight is the story that they're going with here. I was kind of surprised, and not, I guess, that they didn't name him. That's why I wrote unnamed, because, uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter, right? If we're never going to meet Bushman, it doesn't really matter what his name is. Can I throw out my surveillance stork? There is no Raul Bushman. There is only Mark Spector and Jake Lockley. Yeah. Yeah. And what if what if Jake killed his partner yeah. is Jake and right. Jake killed everyone, not not me, not Mark. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I I think that has to do with whether or not they're gonna do more with Moon Knight and they want to explore Bushman or not. Uh, if they have no plans on on doing that, then it's like, yeah, it's like a, a, a Chekhov's Bushman. Like, you're going to talk about this person and then we're never going to meet them. So might as well make it Jake. Yeah, but it, it's, it's interesting if it is Jake, if it is that alter that did that, because at the end of that conversation, before they get interrupted, Mark says that, he was shot by the partner, but didn't die for some reason. So That's, does that mean he shot himself? Like, 
Well, we've already seen him punch himself. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. That's the only reason I thought maybe not, because he would have had to have shot himself. Yeah. Because he was shot by Bushman. Yeah, that, that's could, what makes this a stork. I, I think, could see that. it, though. Uh, Actually, I could see him doing that, because maybe he's having a fight between Jake and Mark in that moment. Mm. And he's mad. Maybe Mark took control after that and is mad at Jake for murdering everybody on the yeah. dig site, including the father of i mean it sounded like they didn't know each other until after that incident Mm -hmm. but the father of layla right right? maybe he's mad at him i think the problem with that is that we have like a scene from the last episode where mark is not aware of who took over his body and killed all those mercenaries right he doesn't know who did that so if he knew jake was in his body this whole time why i guess the way i said that in that moment, yeah, Jake might have taken over, but maybe he didn't, you know, maybe he did for a brief time know who Jake was and doesn't now, you know? Kanchu might have had an effect on that too, because Kanchu, in a lot of different iterations of the comics, Kanchu also messes with uh, Mark's brain, because yeah. his Mark's brain in general in the comics is seen as easily manipulative, easily manipulated. Or it could be a, you know, spoiler warning fight club situation where he doesn't realize yeah. that Jake is actually an aspect of himself. Or Contry this whole time has been like, Mark, would you kindly pick up that wrench? <laughs> Sorry, I, I meant to ask, what do you guys think? Because I, I don't think we've talked about it or you guys have talked much about it. The kind of treasure hunt genre throughout this whole show so far that really culminates here. Because mm-hmm. um, I really like it. Like, I think that's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. It's like the mummy and national treasure or like what's the other one? Like pirates of the Caribbean. It's very swashbuckling. Yeah. I love that. I am a big fan of that kind of story, that kind of movie. So yeah, bring it on. It gives me Indiana Jones, uncharted vibes, Uh um, stuff like that. And I think it's super cool. And I think it's a very um, underrepresented genre right now. I think the only one that you could think of is probably like the new Jumanji movies that have kind of come out. I haven't seen either okay. of them, but those are probably the closest you're going to get to this genre uh, nowadays. I'm clearly a fan. I wrote the Goonies into the script, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, I used think, to, I I think used to really watch cool. the Goonies like every other night before bed. Yeah. Same, like a... same, except I've never watched it. Uh, the conversation oh. <laughs> in the Pharaoh's chamber is interrupted it's by, his altar. <laughs> <laughs> by Arthur and his men, who are all armed with guns. Mark brings a golden axe to the gunfight, using it to take out a few goons before being shot twice in the chest by Arthur. Mark falls backward into a seemingly bottomless pool of water. Uh, confusingly, Simple and Clean does not start playing. That's funny. I'll say that one. Uh, instead, the tone shifts to Moon Knight Episode 4, Theme 3, and this is a, I'm reading this, I didn't, this isn't me, this is me reading the script, the what the fuck is happening story. <laughs> um, and I want to be very clear, in my mind at this point, I could have listed to you probably a hundred different ways I thought this episode was going to go, and never in my wildest dreams, would it have gone to where it actually went? Like, there's no way I could have ever predicted that the transition that happens here. I agree. And like I said, Chris and I watched this episode together. And as soon as this next part happens, we were like, we were both relaxing. Like I was sitting back in the, in my chair and like at the chair in his living room and he's sitting back on the couch 
and this scene starts and I'm like, like what? Like I'm like, <laughs> like just staring into the screen. Like the whole time my eyes are probably like going back and forth. Like it captured me from start to finish. Could not believe what I was seeing. It was so twisty. It reminded me, I love stuff like this. Like it reminded, not exactly the same, but it reminded me of like Bioshock or like, um, like Shutter Island or like anything yeah. that has like a really wild twist at the What's end. What's that movie that you like? Um, Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. twist there. Shutter Island probably was an accidentally really good comparison just now because mm. of the. I was quite impressed. Twist. Same, same thing that happens to uh, Leo in that movie. Suddenly, the aspect ratio and vid- video quality change. A boy with a flashlight and an explorer with an English accent explore the jungle in VHS quality. The duo uses a golden compass that leads them to the statue of Koyashi lunar god of the Aztecs. Boy, that is that is a mouthful. Uh, the name of the explorer is revealed to be Dr. Stephen Grant. Weird. As the explorer's name is dropped, the camera zooms out and we see that the VHS is playing on a television in an all-white room and thus begins what is probably the greatest Marvel callback of all time. Before we continue, there is a chance that this whole... Okay, we we don't know what's really happening here, right? We don't know if Steven is actually in this room. We We don't know what's really happening. Do we think that the VHS tape is real? As in, like, like the movie, yes, on like the, tape the is movie real? on the tape is real. Like it is that is actually where he got the idea for Stephen Grant. I think so. Oh, so like even if this is a hallucination, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe that is a movie that Mark Spector watched when he was a kid. Right, right. That's yeah, that's what that. I'm thinking. I th- Interesting. I, think I hadn't it. considered that, but I like that. I absolutely think that's true. Also, because the guy's accent is also horrible. Right, and I think maybe he yes. all he knows. All he knows about Steven's bad English accent is what he learned from this Steven's bad English accent. I didn't think that. Rewatching this was wild because the compass, too, that he's using to walk two feet to find the statue of that god Mm -hmm. is a golden (laughs) compass that points toward the thing that he's looking for. Like the scarab. A.K.A. Amit's tomb. Uh Yeah. Um, I was thinking thinking Jack Sparrow's compass, but go ahead. That, that too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Did you guys notice that the statue that they find that head it's like a it's like a blown out statue with like five half faces on it uh-huh. just like in the credits when they do that to oscar isaac's face yeah that was neat that face you're making is exactly the face that i was stuck in <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what i was talking about earlier i didn't i didn't think about that at all that's awesome uh, the camera pans around a mental institution the objects residents and familiars looking extremely familiar while playing a game of bingo, here's a list of people and objects we see. The bingo host, the golden statue street performer, his name is Crawley, which is significant to the comics. Interesting. Uh, oh, okay. I learned I that s- from the credits. I saw Crawley in the in the uh, credits. So I was trying to figure out who that was. I'm like, because that, that made me think of, um, what's it called? Good Omens. The demon that uh, David Tennant plays is Crawley, because I think he was the, originally the snake. I mean, crawled on the ground. Oh, crawly. But it's uh, a reference to Alistair Crowley as well, who is, uh, you know, a, a writer on the occult and Satanism and stuff. I'm going to give a shout out to Berto, who's my uh, podcast mate, uh, because he caught that in episode one. 
he was like the golden statue guy that's crawly who's like his who's moon knight's like on the street informant buddy in the comics we see a rubik's cube in the background we also spot the tour guide that steven missed a date with a familiar serving jello bobby one of the fake cops a patient holding a stuffed scarab donna steven's boss at the museum a familiar pushing a cupcake tray Beck, Anton's bodyguard from the last episode, a drawing that looks eerily similar to Conchu, a presumably one-fished goldfish, it's hard to tell, a kind familiar applying brakes to a wheelchair, Billy, the other fake cop, and Mark, sitting in the wheelchair looking confused. Us too, Wait, what about them? Oh, there were cupcakes too. I I unmuted. I'm sorry. I was asking him a question because I spaced for a second. What about the cupcakes? Well, because the cupcake truck. Oh, the truck. I forgot about the truck yeah. being... Yeah, okay. That's important. Pencil that into the notes, will you? Yeah. So yeah. That you can read them. Hey, uh, hold on. Let me write this down. Cupcakes. Okay, thank you. Also, a lot of these objects have been included in the Marvel posters. Oh, yeah. You're right. Did they ever make a poster of the marshmallow jar? No. I don't mm. know. Well, they should Yeah. Speaking of, after another familiar eating a marshmallow approaches Mark telling him that she changed the movie that's already played five times this week. Oh, hey, it's Layla. Layla also appears to have a Band-Aid on her pinky uh, with print of a scarab on it. Clutching what appears... This is where I lost my mind. At this point, everything, I was like, oh, this is kind of crazy. This is where I lost my mind. Clutching what appears to be an action figure of Moon Knight. Yes. Mark calls out for Steven while yes. staring at his reflection in a glass wall. When I saw the Moon Knight action figure, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what is happening right now? He attempts to get up from the chair, but is violently pulled to the ground by an ankle restraint. Another callback. Uh, so, Peach, there is a comic book that this is directly referencing, correct? Yeah, so you guys know that I tried to find a run that might have something to do with this story, but there wasn't really anything online about what that run might be. Like for Hawkeye, it was easy because the tone, like the the artwork for the show was very similar, if not exactly the same to the Matt Fraction Hawkeye run. So that was a very easy thing to identify. With this one, I had no clue, and I don't know that much about Moon Knight like overall, and I didn't in advance. So I was just kind of finding runs that people suggested and found popular, whatever um, Marvel Unlimited was saying that I should read. So after this episode, I'm on TikTok and I follow this guy. I think his handle is um, Sir Superhero. If you haven't seen Sir Superhero, you should find him. He goes, he does like four or five posts a day where he goes through obscure comics and he like just informs the viewers about um, the, the What's he look obscurities. like? He is, he's got like a, uh, like a goatee and long hair. He always wears like a graphic tee. I think he's like 21. He's like, lo- uh, like, like young twenties. I might follow him. I don't know. Like he's, if he's kind of famous, I might. He's really entertaining and he knows a lot about comics. Moon Knight is like his favorite comic. He's a big Moon Knight guy. So I'm scrolling after this and I see his video and he goes, I can't believe they did this. This is one of my favorite Moon Knight runs. And he holds up the cover to what this scene is basically directly from and the cover is um mark specter in a straight jacket with the moon knight mask over his face and a red moon on his forehead and 
the the run is just called Moon Knight. It's a 2016 to 20, I think, 18 run by Jeff Lemire, Greg Smallwood, and Jacob Thomas. So if you want to read that, it is like so, so close to what we see in this scene. I am happy to tell you guys about it because as I was saying earlier, it's a five, like this scene is five issues and then they move on to something slightly different. And I read them all back to back because it was so interesting. By far of the three that I've read, it is my favorite one and I'm not even close to finishing it. Um, The artwork is subliminal in it. It's so good. Um, I actually like Mark Spector. He is not a complete asshole in that run so far. It's super weird. I can tell you guys what happens in the run if you want to know. I feel like no offense to the listener. I feel like we can always say, listener, skip ahead if you don't want to hear these spoilers, but I cannot prevent you all from hearing the spoilers if I talk about them. So <laughs> if you want to know what happens in that comic run, I'll tell you. If you don't want to know, I will shut up. You can read it yourself. We can wait to see how the, the show unfolds. I, I I don't know. I'm going to say don't tell me because I might want to read it. Okay. And I, I, I agree. Shut up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But now we all know where to look if we want to read it. Yes. It's like part of me like, ooh, I don't necessarily want to know because I don't want to spoil the show. Now I'm like, maybe I just don't want to know because I don't want to spoil the comic. If, but I do end up reading it. If you don't yeah. read it before the show is over, immediately read it after. Yeah, because it is very yeah. good. I will say some things that aren't spoilers because it's just something that is always in Moon Knight's repertoire, if you will. Um, he does switch between the altars. Every time he switches between the altars, the art changes. It's super That's cool. smart. I like that. Like you, you can know exactly which persona is on the table because of the art style. Um, Jake's specifically in this run, Jake is not like the personification of Mark's badness. He is the street level taxi cab driver who like collects information. And every time he morphs or he uh, changes into morphs, changes into Jake, it's like this like this smoky but really neon colorful background where he's like going through the city and you can see like neon lights everywhere and it says like sex 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 on the neon and like <laughs> oh, it's oh all, I'm going to read it right yeah, now. It's all like bright pinks <laughs> and blues and yellows like it's very bright and vibrant and the Stephen Grant stuff is he's like a millionaire film producer. So the artwork is like really crisp and he looks really like cut and his love interest is like always near him and like hanging on his shoulder and like, Oh, I love you so much. Pay for things. Like it's, it's, uh, it's really well done. And when he's Mark, the art is all over the place. When Conchu's on the page, it's very spacey. Like anything that they show that anytime they show the night sky, it's like, Oh my God, I can't even properly describe it. It's like blues and purples and blacks, like all mixed together, like starry night on, on drugs. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a weird thing to say because Starry Night is already on Starry Night on Drugs. Um, <laughs> I, I cannot recommend it enough. I don't know anything about the issues past the first five, but the first five are definitely parallel, including like names of characters and themes and everything. So I am going to sit with this knowledge, knowing what happens at the end of those five, and I will see if it lines up. But yeah, it was very exciting. Great read. Very cool. That reminds me of that episode of Batman, the animated series, where you hear all these accounts of Batman from different kids Mm. perspectives and the art style changes every time. But also I did the same thing where I had read the original Moon Knight 
um, issue, like the, the first issue of Moon Knight from 1980 when he had his own comic. And in, and that tells his origin, which is pretty much respected here. But the the character of Marlene, who's been since replaced by Layla, uh, we, there's been a whole will they won't they make her Marlene. And by just reading that, I already had a lot of this spoiled for myself because Marlene is the character whose dad is the archaeologist who gets killed by Bushman. And then uh, then later Bushman kills Mark Spector and then Marlene finds him because she's just so attracted to him. He's so handsome. Like, I can't let him die. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and so like this whole time, I'm like, ah, they're alluding to this. She's Marlene. She's the new, more diversified Marlene. I like Layla a lot. I'm glad that they did that. Yeah, uh, she's great. Yeah. I think Marlene in the comics has her head on her shoulders better than Mark does. And maybe that's unfair. But he is kind of in the run that you were saying earlier that you read. I personally feel like he is too verbally abusive to her. Any amount of verbal abuse is bad, but (laughs) he is over the top. Just like, dude, this guy, every time he tries, he gets in his head like, oh, she has to love me. I'm Mark Spector. He'll go to have a conversation with her and never hear her side of the story whatsoever. He'll just basically yell that kind of thing at her. I am the best. You should love me. Oh, no. It's not verbatim, but it's basically how their conversations go. This episode makes me think of all of the like craziest episodes of TV that I've ever watched. And two immediately come to mind. One of them, and this is incredibly tangentially re- related. We're going way off the rails here. Uh, but one of them is an episode of Supernatural. And it is an episode of Supernatural where the two main characters are teleported to another dimension where they inhabit the bodies of their actors and are instead yes, in the real about. world. And it is hilarious. And like the, Jensen Ackles? Yes. And Jared Padalecki. <laughs> At one point, one of the actors says, what is a Jared Padalecki? Because it's such a weird name. It's really funny. I need to watch that. And there is another episode of a TV show that I think is maybe my favorite episode of TV that I've ever seen. And it is an episode of the TV show Angel, where Angel turns into a puppet. And it is maybe the funniest like 60 minutes I've ever, it's probably like 45 minutes, 45 minutes I've ever seen in my whole life. It's Like a Muppet style puppet? Yes. It, yeah. <laughs> it the show takes itself so so seriously so for an episode it just kind of goes off the rails and he turns into a puppet and it is hilarious what were you saying was the show oh that is so yeah, funny. that's the angel the yeah. angel muppet is and so then the, there's a point there's a point where the puppet turns <laughs> into it because you know how in the in buffy and angel when they turn into their vampire form they're like face changes yeah and they, the, yeah. they get all like the puppet does that as well and turns into like a vampire <laughs> puppet form weren't you saying that this episode reminded you of a buff it buffy reminded episode? me of a, an episode of buffy the vampire slayer and God, I should have looked up what the episode is called. But the whole point of that episode is that there are dual plots happening. Uh, one in the world of Sunnydale. And then there's another one where Buffy is actually a patient in a mental hospital. And they're trying to cure her of her delusions that she's a vampire slayer. And that she's fighting all these demons. And, and they do a lot of the same things. And the way the episode ends is that the Buffy that we've been watching for however many seasons at this point stops the, uh, you know, stops the problem in town, but the episode ends back in the asylum where she's gone catatonic and they say, Oh, we've lost her. And that's how it ends. So it's like being one of those cutesy, deliberately ambiguous endings of, Oh, was everything all a dream? Which I will say 
Not a fan of the everything was all a dream ending. Hate it. Uh, Hate it. Anything. It's one of the worst. Uh, St. Elsewhere. Uh, that one Inception. season of Dallas. Um, Inception I can deal with because it ended on an ambiguous note. Well, and the whole premise yeah. of Inception is about dreams, right? So like, yeah, so you can. That's not cheating. Right. Okay, fine. Yeah. But when you introduce it out of nowhere. Uh, or you're like, hey, all this really cool stuff that you were invested in, someone was dreaming. Ha! Yeah. I tricked you into listening to someone else's dreams. <laughs> so, like, why did I waste my time watching this then? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I doubt that they're going to go that way where there's even going to be any ambiguity about whether or not what we've been watching so far is real in the world of Mark Spector or not. Um, but you can flirt with that trope and not do it badly. Yeah. Um, like, I, I would say that Buffy ending, kind of annoying. And especially when the show goes on for however many more years and then has a spinoff and spinoff comics that, you know, you had Angel. Well, sorry, Angel never happened. Buffy was dreaming five seasons ago on a different network. Um, God. I'm, I'm glad you're bringing up other TV shows that this feels like, because I got major Lost vibes from all of yeah. this. Oh, yeah. Like, hard. Well, you pointed out a very specific lost parallel, which I yes, I was I, I plan on bringing it up. But yeah, all right, then I, I will not I will not lead you into that just yet. No, <laughs> lead him into it because up, I don't man. think I have it anywhere else in the notes, <laughs> unless you're oh, planning you to do. bring it up anywhere else. No, you it, it it's a big it's a big elephant in the room, if you will. <laughs> it's a big hippopotamus in the room. Is that is that doing it for you? <laughs> The scene cuts to Mark, again looking disoriented, as a therapist with a recognizable voice attempts to console him about his inability to separate reality from fiction. The therapist, Dr. Arthur Harrow, insists that Mark's fictional reality might be stemmed from a movie with many similarities to the delusions. Looking around the room as Arthur monologues about reality and treatment, Mark sees a photo of the location where we saw Arthur deliver judgment to the crowd, a cane leaning up against the doctor's desk, Arthur's sandals, the same pair he's worn in every episode, a sculpture that looks very similar to the stone statue of the imprisoned Egyptian gods. Overwhelmed by the mention of Stephen and the numerous familiar objects, Mark utters, you shot me, to Dr. Harrow before throwing himself from his chair to the floor and attempting to crawl out, uh, crawl out of the room. Bobby and Billy try to subdue him as he escapes, but Mark fights them off before fleeing into the building. Gravity shifting as he sprints through the asylum hallways, Mark finds shelter in a room containing a sarcophagus. The sarcophagus shakes as a man inside screams, let me out, over and over. Mark removes the lid, revealing Stephen inside. Two Oscar Isaacs? Twice as nice. Okay. Together, the two attempt to sneak out, passing by another room with a shaking sarcophagus inside. Who might you be? Uh, I think the prevailing opinion is that inside that sarcophagus is Jake, right? That's Surprise, it's going to be Agatha Harkness. <laughs> it was Agatha all along. <laughs> Yeah, not a lot much to say there. It's probably Jake. Yeah. <laughs> As they approach a set of double doors, they are greeted by Tauret, Tauret, the Egyptian hippo goddess of fertility and childbirth, and the pair scream into the camera until credits roll. Is that the hippo reference you were talking about? Yeah. She is also in Lost. She is, first of all, she's only had, according to Wikipedia, has had two references in pop culture it is this and lost uh so it was fun where i was like oh this feels a lot like lost like you know it's gonna be a flashback and suddenly the whole your whole conception of reality is flipped on its head but uh then the in lost if you guys watch it if you remember the foot statue they're like 
why does that foot only have three toes and where's the rest of it? And then in a flashback, it's revealed it was a huge kind of god statue. That was Tower at the Hippo uh-huh. with three toes. Um, I would also like to point out that Tower at was the stuffed animal from the first episode. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that when... first episode has a lot of foreshadowing. Yeah. This is going to be, I and know. we I think we said this in the first episode, but this is going to be one of those like series where you're going to go back and rewatch this and find little things that you didn't realize the first yeah. time around. Remember that little girl ca- that we were worried about yeah, in that first episode? The Field of Reeds. Uh-huh. So I, this isn't, we always have the, you know, how do we think this will affect the MCU? And you'll get to saying that, but I guess. I'm saying it right now. I know. Okay. Well, <laughs> I was going to say before you get there, like this is a very specific point in the episode. So we wouldn't say this in any other one, but which reality do you guys think is real? I think you can make a case for either one because, and, I, and before, before anyone uses a point about the hippo, Remember, in the other reality, there were priest mummies. Mm-hmm. So, like, the idea of a supernatural being exists in both of these realities, if you wanted to use that as a point. I think they are both real. Really? Like in an Albus Dumbledore, of course, is happening in your head, but why should that make it any less real sense? Of the yes, word? very similar. I think this is like a, I think we are in a sort of purgatory type, field of reeds type place. So while some of this is maybe happening in his head, and that is why him and Steven are different people during this, I think they, like, this is still happening, but not in the physical plane. Yeah, whether whether this is some sort of hallucination that has been brought on because he is bleeding out, or whether it's some sort of spell that Amit has put on him, or... I, I think it is more him, like, facing judgment, in a in a more Egyptian style, facing judgment as his life comes to a close type of thing. Okay. And it it is maybe Tauret who will, because she is the goddess of fertility and childbirth, give him a second opportunity because that's something that she has the ability to do. Yeah, because childbirth certainly she she has the ability to give life. Rebirth. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that everything we've seen up to this point has actually happened. I don't think that we're supposed to we're supposed to question, but I don't think we're supposed to actually believe that everything we've seen up to this point has been a hallucination uh, of a patient in this hospital. But he is certainly experiencing these things now. But I do think that everything up to this po- up to him getting shot has happened in the real world of the MCU. So to speak. Yeah, for sure. So where do we think this is going? This is probably the hardest one of these to ask because I can confidently say I have no clue. <laughs> I am going to opt out of this question just like I was going to yeah. opt out of the one that I just asked. That makes sense. You were suspiciously quiet, suspiciously quiet just then. <laughs> yeah, I've been like, as we've gotten to this part of the episode and y'all have been theorizing, I've been intentionally covering my face because okay. I am trying so hard. <laughs> well, you're getting so far. In the end, it will matter, though. I think especially with some of these shows, speculating is is 
like a moot action. It's, it's, there's no point. Like, and if this show, you know, this episode is is an example of that. Like, none of us saw this coming. Yeah, there's no way. If if we had made a a, a you know a March Madness style tournament, everybody would be out right now. Well, and I think you go and listen to a few of our older episodes on some of these shows and like the first few episodes of WandaVision or like Loki and some of our predictions right. <laughs> are wildly different than what ended up happening. So, yeah, well, and that's I try not to make a whole lot of you know speculations or predictions because you're just going to be disappointed or maybe maybe happily surprised by, you know, having your expectations completely subverted. But. I don't know. We've always been, I think, of, uh, on this show, at least, we've tried to be of the mind of speculating is fun, but we're not going to be disappointed if we're wrong, because chances are whatever they're going to do is right. going to be just as good or better than whatever we thought of. Well, right. Like, it's a speculation, not an expectation. And I think yeah. the, the, there the distinction yeah. there has to be there, because if you are expecting mm-hmm. the show to do certain things, you're like you said, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to have a bad time. You're going to have a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what accent do you think Jake will have when he pops out of that sarcophagus? Hey, it's me, Jake. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm hoping like a real, like New Yorker, like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I thought like Boston, that was my, yeah, but then we would have I mean, to I guess they're all New listen Yorkers, to Boston but... accents and nobody wants to do that. I hope I it's, a, hope it's a really kind Canadian accent, but he's a badass, but he's like a murderer, <laughs> but he's like, Oh, oh don't sorry. you, don't you know? Oh, sorry. I popped out a sarcophagus. <laughs> hey, eh? Sorry. You want some pasties, eh? <laughs> Let's go get some Tim Oh, Hortons. did I kill you? <laughs> uh, so what are we going to rate this episode? Who are we starting with this time? We are starting with uh, Arnaldo. What are you going to rate episode four of Moon Knight? I rate it. I, I lost where I wrote it down. I rate this episode 48 out of 50 Hungry Hungry Hippos marbles. Appreciate the gusto of coming in here and not only having a creative uh, MacGuffin, but also choosing your own scale respect <laughs> well i thought about that but no one plays hungry hungry hippos with 10 marbles that's fair it's that's ridiculous true. good point so do the math it's about a 98 mm-hmm. uh i went with a 9.5 stop hitting yourselves out of 10 uh, <laughs> how about you peach I know you, I know you like this one yeah i have to preface this because you can't give something a 10 out of 10 and not say why i gave it 10 awkward first kisses out of 10 and this is just the kind of episode that does it for me you guys like it had everything it had horror it had twist it was interesting from start to finish uh the funny moments in the romance parts of the episode it just everything about it was great i think that maybe and i wouldn't say it's far away from some of the other episodes that i hold like near and dear i think in all of the disney plus marvel shows so far this is my favorite episode of everything it's funny how we I'm went. I'm so happy for you after last week. After you were yes. so disappointed last week. That's what I was going to say. Yes. It's funny how we went from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs with you. That might have also helped. I might be. I might have that in the back of my brain. Like, ah, oh, anything's better than that <laughs> shit show. What do you? What do you? Wow. What are you giving it, Eduardo? I'm giving it nine weird monster movie tropes out of ten. Now, uh, before we go, we have our new weekly segment back again. I don't have a yeah. name for it yet. Oh, yeah. uh, recommendation central i don't know i'll come up with something more interesting uh, maybe we'll even have a little jingle uh uh chris get to work recommendation jingle yeah um does anybody have a recommendation to help our listeners get through their week 
We gotta go around and, and, and go around the room. Okay. Uh, guests first. Arnaldo, what do you recommend? <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's the bus. First. Toss. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just sorry that made me think of uh, on our podcast. We just watched Doctor Strange from 1978, and there's a scene where. Um, it was just for like it was a TV movie, so there was a scene where I'm not recommending. I guess I'm recommending this now. <laughs> There's a scene where uh, the the villain of the movie, who's played by Jessica Walter, um, she like wants to, I guess, hurt Doctor Strange. She's walking down the street, and there's a little black boy on a bicycle, and she like telepathically sends him into literally in front of a bus, and like Doctor Strange runs in, saves him, and then goes about his business it was clearly just like a like a commercial hook you know like oh no and then everything's fine let's move on with the plot but it's 78 action scene for the uh for the commercial yeah but i was like that's a weird hate crime (laughs) (laughs) that you're doing (laughs) but anyway um i was gonna i wasn't gonna recommend dr strange Although you can find it and then you can listen to our podcast about it. But anyway, uh, I was going to recommend Lost because, again, this show gave me Lost vibes and I'm currently in a rewatch of Lost. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. I think it's very strong as long as you don't as long as you binge it, because if you were to go back in time and watch it weekly and then wait six months between seasons, you will drive yourself crazy because the cliffhangers are just the most cliffhanger cliffies of all time um <laughs> but you if you binge it you're like oh my god what's gonna happen next click and then find out and then maybe stop watching halfway through the episode instead before you get to the next cliffhanger uh but i think it's i think as long as you don't have high expectations as in like what we were talking about high speculative things uh and you don't get lost in the what ifs and the mysteries of it uh and you just kind of like you're along for the ride i think it's an amazing tv show that is only hurt by the writer strike uh, which came in around up seasons four and five around that part. Um, it is long because it's like network television. So it's 24 episode seasons. But I think it holds up and I think it's great. And I think it paved the way for a lot of serious high production value dramatic television that we've gotten in the last decade since Lost kind of took that plunge into, you know, spending millions of dollars on a pilot. Um, and also it's crazy and I love it a lot. Where do you watch it? I'm seeing that you can watch it on Hulu, but I don't know if that's It's on true. Hulu. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I've been watching on Hulu. I mean, the last I checked, it's still on Hulu. Peach, have you never watched Lost? Nope. What? Sure oh, And I'm what? guessing, based on all the God, things I've heard to... about it, that I would probably really love it. You would it. love Lost. You would it's love it. It's so good. Yeah. I just, it's when so it good. was on air, it's not something I was interested in, because it was, it was on air when I was, like, in um, late middle school and then all through high school, and I was just playing Guitar Hero. You know, yeah. that's all I was well, doing. Same. I, I watched it when it was available on Netflix, and I binged the whole thing in a few months. And that's the way to do it, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think we own a couple of the seasons. That doesn't oh. surprise me. Bailey loves Lost. She, she? loves Lost. Yeah. Loves it. Also, weirdly, so also loves the movie This Is Forty. And I don't know if you guys have watched that movie, but there's a little girl in there that is watching Lost as you watch the movie. It's oh my meta, god! It's like that. Um, it's you know, it was part of those like. Uh, I think it was technically a spinoff sequel of Knocked Up about Paul Rudd and yeah. his wife during that movie, but it is about oh, yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. 
Huh. It's a lot better. You know what? That's my recommendation. Go watch This Is 40. Uh, very, very, very <laughs> funny movie that probably doesn't get enough love. Uh, uh, and it's one of those, you know, if you like that style of comedy, I think Paul Rudd is one of the funniest people on the planet. And I think uh, anytime I see him in almost anything, I have a good time. So if you like Paul Rudd, um, go go give it, a, give it a good watch. I think as, especially if you are, Sounds weird. If you're reaching an age where you're starting to really feel adulthood, if you really feel the weight of adulthood, go watch that movie. It's very therapeutic. I feel attacked. (laughs) Uh, I think I accidentally walked into my recommendation, too. I think if you liked the ending of this episode, and I'm obviously not going to spoil the plot. Maybe you've already seen it. Maybe you've thought about it. Go watch Shutter Island. If, if this interested you, if this episode interested you, go watch Shutter Island. Leo Leonardo DiCaprio is the main character. Um, uh, Mark Ruffalo is in it as, as uh, a side character. He's like a detective. The basic story is that Leonardo DiCaprio is a detective. He's trying to investigate a disappearance on an island where there's a mental hospital. And his partner is Mark Ruffalo. They go to the island. All sorts of shenanigans ensue. It is a, a fun mystery with a great twist. Um, also, oh my gosh, who's the doctor? The doctor's someone important too. Anyway, it's a great movie. If you liked this, you'll probably like Shutter Island. There's so many good movies that you want to recommend after you think of something that it's related to, but then you don't want to do that because you don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had that issue with uh, the movie Palm Springs. If you've ever, if you haven't seen it, don't. Don't look it up at all. Just watch it. Don't don't look at it. Is that the one with Andy? Samberg? It's one of those. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. OK. You got to go in completely blind uh, because if it comes up in a conversation, it's already spoiled. <laughs> it's got Andy okay. Samberg and Kristen Milioti. Yes. The mom from, from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good movie. Good movie. Hmm. OK. I'll add that to my list. All right. What I am going to recommend, uh, keeping with the theme of, hey, this made me think of something else while you were talking about that. Uh, I'm going to go with a movie that is confusing and strange and disturbing uh, and features Oscar Isaac. Uh, it's not the same kind of strange and disturbing as this episode, but can't believe is, you're going to bring up X-Men way. Apocalypse. Yes, that's it. That's right. <laughs> Oscar Isaac, Marvel, Egypt. What more can you want? Uh, no, but um, I'm talking about Annihilation, uh, which is a 2018 movie uh, starring Natalie Portman. Uh, she's she's the lead in that. that. Oh yeah, you know, you know, Thor: Love and Thunder. The teaser just came out, so I'm thinking Natalie Portman too. Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac, Annihilation. There we go. You should watch that. Uh, I couldn't even tell you what happens, and I've seen it. The last uh, third of that movie is cuckoo bananas. It's insane, <laughs> and and I am very sad that if you haven't seen this movie, it is now too late for you to see it in a movie theater because I saw it in a movie theater, and. Never have I felt so strongly that a movie deserved every Oscar. It got uh, one. Oh, it got one. It got Oscar Isaac. Um, but <laughs> I wanted it to win every sound-related Oscar because I the music and sounds and sound effects, especially in the end of that movie, was shaking the theater I was in. And I've never like been so moved both literally and and also just like the experience of watching in the theater and just feeling the rumbling of the sound in the climax of that movie just really stuck with me it is weird um 
Jane the Virgin is in it. Um, uh, a, a scary bear skeleton face monster is in it. Uh, Tessa Thompson's in it. Oh, also, Love and Thunder, you know, bring it in there. Um, but it is just a very mind-bending, crazy film. And, uh, you know, watch it, you know, and turn up the music and the subwoofer for as loud as you can without making your neighbors mad. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective. But before we go, Arnaldo, where can folks find you on the internet and all the fun stuff you're doing? I have a podcast called Films from the Phantom Zone. It's available everywhere you get podcasts. Uh, we also have, we're on Twitter. We're on TikTok. I think that's all Films from PZ. And we also stream on Twitch at Films from PZ also. Um, so we record the podcast live on Twitch. Uh, and it's actually a lot of fun because there's uh, always a chat. There's uh, usually a couple people there. We have a couple regulars uh, and they like just kind of throwing their two cents in or doing some light research for us or derailing the whole thing. Uh, and so, you know, a, a hour and a half podcast is really three hours in the recording. <laughs> uh, but it's a lot of fun doing it that way. Uh, and we get to make a lot of friends. And uh, we had Chris on uh recently we, we talked about batman from 1966 so we are doing all of the failed and forgotten comic book movies it's essentially the complete inverse of what you guys do here because it's basically everything but marvel <laughs> um everything from well, like i said we just did dr strange 1978 we've done i mean we're, we're trying not to do the serials from the 40s quite yet but i mean that that day will come uh when we have to watch those so it's a lot of fun. Uh, we also have a second podcast, but that's for a Patreon exclusive called Where's Mephisto? And we just watch literally anything and we look for Mephisto because he's got to pop up at some point, right? That is so. my favorite concept for a podcast. Wait, so do you so, think he was the goat in this episode then? Uh, we haven't recorded for this episode yet, okay. but I'm uh, I'm gonna keep an eye out. Okay. Uh, usually, I pose I pose uh my friend Birdo that question, and he just he's like, you know what, maybe conscious us, all right? Like he could be. <laughs> uh, I think we said maybe one somebody is. Oh, I think we said maybe Harrow's actually the avatar from Mephisto <laughs> currently, oh, and he's pulling go. all the strings. Uh, okay. We've also watched Peacemaker, and we're like. Look, man, uh, the dad in Peacemaker, he's evil. Uh, he's probably Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's a, it's a nonsense concept, but it's a good time. And we're going to be doing Obi-Wan also and, and probably like movies. Grand Inquisitor. Just whatever we want. Mephisto, really. perhaps? M maybe. Oh, that little Luke Skywalker kid. I don't know about yeah, him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I trust him. So it's a good time. And that's on our Patreon. Well, thanks so much for being on. If you're a big fan of Arnaldo's, uh, good news, because this is part one of a part two. We're going to have him on again next week. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking over. Yeah. <laughs> but if you I'm a Robbie variant, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. That's funny. Oh, man. But if you want to support this show right here, you can do so. Patreon.com slash Assembly Required is where we are at. Go to our Patreon-exclusive Discord and chat with all the other people over there. Uh, if you want to hear our initial impressions of every episode, I, as soon as we watched this, as soon as I finished this, and it was weird because I it felt like we all watched it at the same time. 
because because yeah. we all immediately posted in there right after we were done and we're all like what is happening so if you want to get our unfiltered first takes you can do so patreon.com slash something required huge shout out to our avengers level patrons brian adrian and michael if you want to email the show, you can do so, assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's going to be at assemblycast. You can follow some of us individually. It's going to be ABCD Eduardo 1 for myself and Gator Sax 2010 for Chris, Philkid 3 for Robbie. We're going to try to have him on. I know there are a lot of Robbie stands out there, and just know we are going to <laughs> do myself among them. We are going to do our very, very best to get Robbie on one of these, if not one of the Moon Knight episodes. Right there. <laughs> it's gonna be on. <laughs> it's gonna be on. Maybe Robbie uh, Prime. <laughs> no, I. It's gonna be on uh, one of the movie episodes. So we're, we'll we'll get Robbie back for you. We'll get some Robbie time soon. But that's gonna that's gonna do it for myself, for Chris, for Peaches, for Arnaldo. We love you three thousand. Bye everybody. Excelsior. Hydra. Bubbly bubbly. Do I get to say a thing? Yeah. Thanks for thinking of me. <laughs>